You're listening to stories of discovery and adventure from Adventures in a Tuk-Tuk. This podcast is sponsored by the fabulous Tuk-Tuk UK, the UK's largest importer of Tuk-Tuks. If you want a Tuk-Tuk or anything Tuk-Tuk related, Tuk-Tuk UK is the company to speak to. They love talking Tuk-Tuks as much as I do. Hello and welcome. My guest today is Bruce Haxton, owner and founder of the Tuk Tuk Club in Chiang Mai in Northern Thailand. The Tuk Tuk Club is an award-winning travel company specialising in Tuk Tuk holidays based in and around the southern slopes of the Himalayas. The trips take you to the heart of this most beautiful and off-the-beaten region of Southeast Asia. Your travelling convoy with other travellers get involved in trips and activities that will change your view of Thailand forever and you will stay in a unique combination of authentic hill tribe villages and high-end boutique hotels. It all sounds absolutely amazing. I first asked him about his love of tuk-tuks and how it all began. Got starting from when I was 18, probably, um, if I can remember that far back, and backpacking around Asia. Yeah. And I was always one of those guys who loved the look of them, but I would never have enough beers where I'd ask to get behind the wheel. Right. So it had always been it always been a sort of thing in the back of my head. Oh, I'd love to drive one. I think it'd be good fun. Yeah. And never did until God, what are we now, twenty twenty? Um about four years ago. Okay. And very weirdly, a school friend of my wife is actually a tuk tuk driver and I've known him thirty years, best part of thirty years. Yeah. Um, but never got behind the wheel and eventually um, a friend of mine uh, a Thai mate of mine and myself arranged with one of his mates to basically take his tuk-tuk out of service. It's a regular taxi down on the outskirts of Bangkok and said, look, can I nick your tuk-tuk for a few weeks? I'll pay you for it. I'll pay whatever you normally take home a day. You can sit on your backside and yeah. earn that money. And we, that was the first time I ever drove a tuk-tuk. So effectively, I learned how to drive a tuk-tuk on a six-lane highway. Nice. <laughs> Which was, which was slightly nerve-wracking. <laughs> is, that, is, is that one of the green and yellow ones? Um, this one was blue and yellow. Oh, right, there's okay. A, in Thailand, there's a whole, there's like five colours which are own, you're only allowed to use if they're actually a registered taxi. Okay. So with the tuk-tuks I have now, I've got 12 tuk-tuks now, they're orange, and the reason they're orange, um, I could give you some wonderful branding load of rubbish but it would be just rubbish it's because we weren't allowed this set of colors so it's effectively let's close our eyes and choose a different color okay but go back those years we we ended up driving from bangkok up to the north and then thousands of kilometers around the mountains of northern thailand yeah um a few wrong turns ended up down a few sort of dirt tracks where you're better off four-wheel drive yeah uh you break downs um, because the taxi tuk-tuks are all LPG, they're not terribly powerful. Okay. Um, but I just fell in love with them. It was I've worked in travel most of my life, James, and you can get very blasé about oh, it's just another place to go and see. Um, but I was like a little kid at Christmas again. Everything yeah. was exciting. They, they just um, they just make you smile. They, yeah, they do. They make other people smile as they well. Do. So up here, you don't get outside of the urban areas. You don't get tuk-tuks oh okay so when we're, when we're up in the mountains um and there's 
two people who are clearly just traveling around it's not a taxi driver and a passenger yeah. yeah would stop in the village and people were desperate to take photos of us and find out about us rather than the other way around yes and it was just superb um and ever since then the happiest i am I, just checking my wife isn't listening the happiest i am is when i'm sitting in a tuk tuk <laughs> chiang mai is the heart of northern thailand so we're about 900 kilometers north of bangkok okay um surrounded by mountains chiang mai itself is not particularly high 300 meters but okay. i'm looking out my window here and i can see hills getting up to 15 1600 meters straight away okay um and it's Within 50 kilometers, we've got Thailand's highest mountain here, two and a half thousand meters. Um, and heading everywhere north from Chiang Mai, it's rolling mountains, hill tribes. So there's lots of different ethnic groups that live in the mountains. Yeah. And it's just mind-blowingly beautiful, James. It's forests, uh, valleys, um, mountain tops, interesting cultures, and it's like... I don't, it sounds a bit rude, but it's a bit like going back in time. Sometimes it's uh, yeah. lots of subsistence agriculture, yeah. um, and incredibly friendly people up here. Very, it's, very. It's really friendly. Is it a poor area? Or? Um, Chiang Mai city is uh, has been very uh, well developed and quite affluent. As it, it used to be a separate country from Thailand, it used to be a separate kingdom. And they've always been quite proud of their independence. But over the last sort of 15, 20 years, there's been a lot of tourism here. Okay. Um, tourism's a big thing here in, in a nice way. I don't mean in terms of over tourism. Yeah. So there's been a lot of money generated from that. Um, there's a lot of agriculture up here. Okay. Um, go back 30, 40 years, um, we were in the sort of, you're not a million miles from the Golden Triangle. So there was a lot of money okay. um, yeah. from more illicit goods, should we say. Yes. But it's... Up in the mountains, some of the provinces not far from here are classed as the poorest in the country. Right. Um, but actually, when you visit them, it doesn't feel that way. Uh, crops grow really bountiful food up here. Lots of water. Um, so, you know, if you're judging it by ownership of iPhones, yeah, maybe there's a bit of poverty. But if you're judging it by quality of life and healthiness, I think it's a pretty a, a pretty good place to live. I never judge anything by an iPhone. I must admit. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't think of what to say. But I think it was a marvellous analogy, if I'm honest. That was really good. <laughs> so was it a sort of a stroke of genius to, that you got there? Like a brilliantly engineered lifetime plan? <laughs> or a Obviously. simple twist of fate, to quote Bob Dylan? Um, I, I, I've worked in travel for a long time. Um, and slightly different travel rather than sunburn on a beach travel. Lots of strokes of luck have led me to where I am now. I'd love to say it was a grand strategy, but I always think when you read books of business people and stuff like that, and they say it was a grand plan, you know you're reading the book of a liar. Yeah. Um, lots of luck, lots of taking the wrong choice and then occasionally the right choice. There are doors um, in life, aren't there? Where you either open them or yeah. you close them. It's as simple as that. I was it? bored, James. I was bored of, not bored, but I was a bit irritated with the travel industry, um, that, that the adventure had gone from adventure travel, in my view, yeah. uh, particularly in this part of the world. Um, and I just wanted to do something a little bit different that, yeah. and hope that there were enough people in the world who would enjoy doing something different with us. Yes. So it's a stroke of luck. Did you move out from England? Gosh, I first worked here in the mid-90s. Um, we've owned a house down near Bangkok for 
15 years or so. Okay. Um, we did a lot of business in the UK. We were in the, back in the UK for 12 years and then moved back to Thailand, uh, I forget now, seven or eight years ago. Okay. Uh, ran a business that was based in Bangkok. And then we didn't move up to Chiang Mai until just under two years ago. Okay. So it was a gradual progression out of the city. I was fed up with sitting in traffic for three hours a day each way. I can imagine, um, yeah. My, my other hobby, apart from driving tuk-tuks, is cycling. And the mountains up here are amazing to cycle in. So again, don't tell my wife. I said, it, I said quality of life to move to Chiang Mai it was tuk-tuks and cycling, really. So from Bangkok, what made you choose where you are now? Um, when we were looking, so when, when I did the research driving this uh, Bangkok tuk-tuk around the mountains, uh, I was always looking at potential routes to do with travellers as a business. And Chiang Mai is sort of the gateway to the north. It's the main, it's a, if people come to the north of Thailand, they all spend two or three nights in Chiang Mai. Right. Um, so that was logical. There's also a fantastic loop here um, that starts in Chiang Mai called the Mehong Son Loop. Okay. which is a best part of 700 kilometers loop through the mountains. Um, clearly starts and ends in Chiang Mai, but doesn't back, double back on itself anywhere. And that seemed like a good basis to start from now. And whilst I quite happily live on the top of the mountain in a shed, yes. um, family and wife aren't quite at that stage. We'll get there, but not not just yet. They, they take a lot more encouraging, don't they? A lot they do. More. So it's a happy medium. And Chiang Mai's got yeah. everything you need. Okay. Um, there's... Oh, thousands of food stalls and restaurants and places to go out. Um, you can get literally everything you might want um, in Chiang Mai. It's, it's quite a big area now. I think in the city centre, the urban population is 250,000, something like that. Yeah. So it's yeah, it's big. And There's a good airport there, so you can fly places really easily. Good schools and literally the mountains on your doorstep. Presumably the, that 700k loop is, the, is your 11-day do you yeah. are you still going out looking for other things to do on that loop? Always, always. Yeah, yeah, always. In fact, I've just just last week we just launched a seven day trip. Yeah, I saw that on the that, website. Yeah, that um, the the tuk tuk element finishes on the Burmese border, and then we take a river boat. We hire a boat down the river on the border between the two, which I I think borders are good fun. Yes. So the river is the border which is exciting. And then we head 30K up into the mountains to one of the wildest villages I've ever been to. Okay. Um, but yeah, I'm always looking at new routes for the tuk-tuks. One day, if I could work out how to get the permits, I'd love to be able to drive um, drive from here through Myanmar into Bangladesh, India. Yeah. And if it was <laughs> Pakistan, and then there's problems being a Brit going through Iran, but then yes. Iran, Turkey, you know, that's my dream. Before I die, that is what I would like to do. You're listening to Stories of Discovery and Adventure from Adventures in the Tuk Tuk podcast, now available on iTunes. Do you employ many locals? So we have guides and because we run self-drive and chauffeur-driven trips. So we have guides and drivers and I have a, a guru operational person who makes sure all the bookings are uh, and logistics are sorted out. But we have a really nice team and my policy is always hire local yeah. because um, then A, we're doing the right thing, but B, uh, local people know a damn sight more than anybody else. I mean, I know this neck of the woods pretty well, Yeah. Um, but um, why not employ the experts who are the local Thai people? Well, I must admit, I have obviously read the itineraries and uh, they do look extremely exciting trips. Well, they're fun, James. They're... they're huge amount of fun 
and I, I defy anybody not to smile 23 hours of the day. The other hours when you're asleep. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk tuk-tuks. Do you have a personal tuk-tuk? Um, well, I've got 12 personal got 12, So you just use one of those? Um, do you know what? I've got to be careful because three of the t- four of the tuk-tuks are named after family members. So okay, um, yes. Yes. I, I do have a personal favourite, but I will not be quoted. Okay. Um, Actually, the one I normally my go-to is we used to have a Yorkshire Terrier here right. called Max, absolutely mad as a hatter, and he shuffled off um, last year. Okay. So I normally drop. Yeah, I was very fond of him, so we have a tuk-tuk named Max that I normally is my go-to tuk-tuk. Yeah. So you've named all twelve, haven't you? Yeah. So just uh, any other favourites? You know, are they all after family members or? Uh, we, we've got we've got a range of stuff. Um, like one's named after a friend who was really ill when we were having the tuk-tuk spilt, going through um, various treatment. Okay. So we thought it'd be nice to name a tuk-tuk after her. Yeah. Beauty is she fully she recovered and last year came out and did an eleven-year trip and drove her own eleven-day uh, trip. Yeah. And drove her own tuk-tuk, which is pretty cool. That is cool. Um, yeah. So they're all named. Some family pets. Um, Oh, when we'd named them, my mother suddenly said that she was very disappointed not to have a tuk-tuk named after <laughs> So we had to quickly rename one. I'm sure you um, did, yes. Various bits and pieces, and one in honour of the previous king here who died three years ago was very, very popular. Okay. A really decent king, so we named one after him as well, or in honour of him. So they've all got their reasons. And I believe there are six manufacturers of tuk-tuks in Thailand. Is that correct? Do you, you know what? I'd have no idea. It would. So I would think there are more. Okay. Because there are a whole range of different manufacturers knocking around, ranging from backstreet sort of junk shop manufacturers to slightly more, slightly more serious outfits. Um, we we had two fleets of six built, okay. and both built by different people. Oh, okay. Uh, the first set is they're one of the more famous, at least locally, uh, manufacturers. Um, brilliant place when you go down, it's down a little side street and it is, there are more engines and bits and pieces than you could ever care to imagine. Yes. And they built, I don't know if you've seen, have you seen The Hangover or heard of The Hangover, the movie? Yes, I have. Yes, it's the, it's the comedy. Yes, I have. Yeah, the comedy. There's one, one where there is one, I forget which one it is, but one of them's in Thailand and they're in, a, the tuk-tuks used quite a lot in that. And these manufacturers built that tuk-tuk. Okay. Uh, and they, they have it in their yard. Right. It was huge. Okay. And they're lovely guys, right? I said, why, why is it so big? And uh, he just said, have you ever seen how big Americans are? Yeah, they are huge, yes. That's all, so, the, that, that's all the fast food. <laughs> so that, that was our first six. And then when we built another six, these guys had a really big backlog. So they recommended some other manufacturers about 15K away. This is yeah. down near Bangkok. Oh, okay. So um, down near Bangkok, right. Yeah. And, what, um, and now we're up here in Chiang Mai, we have a really good relationship with sort of the main mechanical supplier for tuk-tuks in the city. Okay. So the guy that is the go-to for all the taxi drivers, etc. really good guy. He provides us with parts and we have full-time mechanics who work for us. Okay. Uh, and what size engine do they have in them? 650cc. Oh, okay. So we have them specially built so they could cope with the mountains. Yeah. Um, we, we tend to we take back roads, so it's not like um, you know those lovely alpine climbs that you will have cycled yes. on your yes. route to Nice. Yes, guys generally don't build roads like that. Right, so they're far more 
yes. like this. Yes. And we do have some good hairpins, but you get sort of 30% inclines. Okay. Um, so, yeah. so you need a bit of power. Yes. So 650cc, just under 70 horsepower, which is okay. fair yeah. amount. Yeah. Um, they're slightly longer than a Bangkok Tuk Tuk. Okay. We made them okay. about eight inches longer, so you can actually stretch your legs out in the rear seats. Okay. And they're about six and a bit inches higher. Okay. So if you've ever been in a Tuk Tuk in Bangkok, you sort of have to crouch to look out. Okay. Um, in our Tuk Tuks, you don't. You can sit and see. They've got sunroofs. Yeah, I saw that. So We've even got mobile phone charges. Isn't oh, it terrible? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's go back to the colour. The green ones intrigue me. And they're from, is it Trang? T-R-A-N-G. How would you pronounce that? Trang. 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 So that's right down in the south. Why, why yeah. are they green? Do you know what? I've no idea. There's right. so much in Thailand where the answer is always, no idea. It's <laughs> just it. <laughs> the iconic ones are sort of green and yellow or blue and yellow aren't they They're the... blue and yellow yeah the, yeah the iconic tuk-tuk is the bangkok tuk-tuk yes that's when anybody if you google tuk-tuk that is what will come up you go an hour north of bangkok to uh, the old capital ayutthaya yeah and their tuk-tuks have a different conical shaped front that look a bit like rockets okay um that's what you get in tuk-tuk when you head out to the northeast the tuk-tuks are more motorbike and side sort of three-wheeler motorbike okay than, yes than a, what you think of as a tuk-tuk and yeah. you see the same in cambodia far more like a, a motorbike contraption why i've absolutely no idea and the more i ask the more people sort of look at me and go well why do you want to know yeah. and people still buy new ones i was last time i was down there i was chatting to a few tuk-tuk drivers yeah. um, and they had beautiful brand new tuk-tuks and they were saying oh yeah people are still coming into the industry for if if that's the right word, the tuk-tuk industry. Um, so, yeah, it's a big, they're still big. Around Chiang Mai in the city where we are, there's a lot of tuk-tuks in the, in the city. How much is a tuk-tuk to buy in Thailand, in Chiang Mai, uh, roughly? Do you, if you're just buying a bog-standard regular tuk-tuk with no license plates, you can probably pick one up for £3,000. Okay. And what, take maybe a bit more for and what powered sort of powered engine would they have in them? About half of what we've got. Okay. Yeah, maybe a bit less than that. Um, but a bit more pokey, you know, a bit faster and a bit more powerful than your sort of Indian rickshaw or Indian Sri Lankan rickshaw. So the longest journey you've ever under, undertaken in a, you know, to, to, what's that? Um, what, in one day? No, it doesn't have to be in one day. You can be, how long have you been on the road in a tuk-tuk? About 3,000 kilometres. Okay. From where to um, where? Starting in Bangkok. Hang on, no, it would be more. It would be more. It would be just under 4,000. Okay. Um, starting from Bangkok, heading all the way up to the north of Thailand, but sticking off the motorway, the main, the dual carriageways. Yeah. So that adds quite a bit of distance, then touring around the mountains and then heading back. Okay. Um, all in a couple of weeks. Brilliant. Okay. Every day spent driving and exploring. Absolutely superb fun. And is that open to anyone who wants to do that? Can anybody in a norm, in, a, in under normal times come in and do that? No. No, it's okay. <laughs> it's, it's pretty tricky um, because you would need to know how to get get your hands on a tuk-tuk um, and sort that out. Okay. Uh, that's one of the trickiest things in Thailand. Um, okay. You need to have a – well, actually, the driving license side is pretty easy as a foreigner. You have an IDP. 
international driving permit that covers you. Okay. Um, but then you'd need to find somebody who would be willing to lend you a tuk-tuk, which is, without knowing people, doesn't happen. It sounds like I'm already one step ahead of the crowd here, you know, if, I, need, if I needed to do that. Because... Uh, so the the, the four thousand kilometres you did, did you camp or did you or do you always stay in sort of locals or stayed in a range of places actually? Uh, didn't camp anywhere. Um, Is it a camping you nation? Can camp. You can camp um, or not in national parks and stuff. People okay. camp, yeah. Uh, but outside of that, it's a little less common. Okay. If you're if you're well off the beaten track and you're trying and you're doing things cheaply, you can sleep in temples and things like that. Okay. Um, uh, a lot of a lot of people who are cycling through Southeast Asia stay overnight in temples because it's free. Okay. Um, when I did that trip, we stayed in oh a, a range of accommodation from mountain huts to quite nice places with a swimming pool. Okay. Um, the accommodation there's a lot of accommodation in Thailand and there's a lot of really good value stuff as well actually. Is it? Um, is is the the, uh, the is, it, is it an expensive place to live now or to to go to or is it it just depends. Obviously, Bangkok's expensive. Northern Thailand will be slightly cheaper. Is, is that how everything's it relative? Works? Everything's relative, isn't it? You can spend a lot of money. Yes. Um, you know, Chiang Mai itself has got. I was just talking to someone today. They've got this. It's called a homestay, but it's a really posh homestay. And it's and let me get my foreign exchange. It's about eight hundred pounds a night. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's quite a lot. <laughs> Yeah, so, but, but you don't have to spend that amount of money. Um, everywhere we stay on our trips is locally owned, so we like that because then the money stays in that community. Yeah. Um, but really nicely done. So I, I, I'm quite into, because remember I'm a travel company. Yes. So I want people to get a good night's sleep um, and enjoy each destination. So. Lots of places with swimming pools, infinity pools over rice fields and all that sort of stuff. Yes. But not outrageously expensive. Okay. Um, but one of our trips, the three-day trip, we do camp uh, one night. Um, a, a friend of mine is Karen, so um, ethnically not Thai. Yes. Uh, the Karen people spread across Myanmar and Thailand. Okay. And uh, a very good friend and his, his uh, parents are sort of the village chiefs um, okay. way up in the mountains. And there's a plot of land where we put up tents next to a river and they'll have a big feast around the fire and guys from the village come and sing and folk songs and all this sort of stuff and bring out the homemade whiskey. Wow. And that's good fun because it's cool. You know, down and once you're in the in the valleys, it's pretty hot most of the year. Okay. Up in the mountains, oh, it's lovely. Um, even now, 24 degrees or something, 20 degrees, which is... is yeah. So it's chilly. In the winter up there, it drops to zero. Yeah. Um, which always surprises people in Thailand. Yes. And we stay somewhere sort of two thirds of the way up the mountain and between November and February you need a you need your fleece and your woolly hat. Yes. Um yeah, it's chilly. It's beautiful. It's nice nice change from thirty five the last couple of months have been thirty eight, forty degrees down in the city. Okay. So that's pretty toasty. Yes. Um but once you get up in the hills the temperature's nice. Yeah. Do you get tourists from all over the world coming to your tuk tuks? We do. We've yeah. had the majority are UK. Okay. Then we've had North Americans, Australians, New Zealanders, uh, other Europeans. We've had people from Colombia, people from uh, Senegal. So we do South Africans. So okay. yeah, we're doing all right. We get we have a really nice range of people. And you can run the tours 
all year, I presume, can you? Normally. Yeah, we do. Yeah. So we're hitting rainy season now. I'm looking out and it's the sky's going nice and black, which means my garden's going to get some water. Okay. Um, but we the rainy season actually, which is so mid-late June all the way through to October, is a fantastic time to travel. Here okay. Because it's not quite as hot. Everything goes green. And if you are halfway up a mountain and you get a tropical downpour, we pull over to one side of the road. Okay. We've got rain and sheets and stuff yes. like that. It's, makes you feel like you're really part of an adventure okay yes yeah absolutely yeah yeah the uh the weather does can play a, a huge part in, in people's memory of things can't they yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. and we've had hailstones you know it's very once or twice a year we get big hailstorms that's quite exciting when you're driving a tuk-tuk in the mountains hi i'm bruce Hanson from chiang mai thailand where we base the tuk-tuk club 2020 is a little bit of a write-off, but we're looking forward to seeing people back in 2021 and getting out into the hills again in our wonderful three-wheelers. Adventures in a Tuk-Tuk is sponsored begrudgingly by Waterside underscore calligraphy. The 12 you have now, are they sort of almost fully booked out now or do you need more or are you thinking of getting you know up to 18? That's a really good question. Um, if you'd have asked me that, in November, December, or January, yeah. or even February, I'd have said, yeah, yeah, we need more. Um, our last travellers were on March the 15th. That was the last, that was effectively when travel stopped in this part of the world. Okay. Now I'd say 12 is too many. Okay. <laughs> but no, I mean, the way things were going, um, yeah, we, we were getting very busy because we, we run one day trips and we'll have 10, 15 people a day on those trips. Uh, which is the maximum we do is 15 people. I think um, I think you need one where if someone like me just turns up you know, and you just go, I'd just like to take it away for a few days, please, and just disappear. But probably logistically, if you don't know them, it's it's, it's not, not ideal. Yeah, we don't, we, we get asked about that reasonably often. We, we don't do that. Part of our setup is that the fact that we guide everybody yeah. allows us to do what we do. Yes, I understand that. Um, and you know, people are people are good drivers, and the roads are really good condition. The roads are in really good condition, um, but you can get lost pretty easy. Yeah. Um, uh, now, of course, you can in Sri Lanka and stuff like that, and the roads are similar in Sri Lanka. But it's just the way we operate. Do you have? Uh, I presume I, th I think it's all in convoy, so you don't have to rely on GPX files or anything like that. It's everyone's just sort of tagged along, and uh, no one gets out of yeah, sight. And we, we go in convoy. Um, and it works, people. And so I think one of the things people enjoy is we get lots of travellers with us who normally say, oh, we don't do group holidays. Yeah. Um, fair enough. But the, one of the beauties is because you with your friends or your partner or whatever are in your own tuk-tuk, it means that when you're travelling from A to B, you are on your own. Yes. And then when you stop for coffee, you're all back together again. Yes. Which has that nice mix of personal time and sociable time. Um, and then in the evenings... Do you know what, James? Um, it just seems that we, we meet people on day one of an 11-day trip and we think, oh, crikey, not sure if these people are going to get on with these people, with these people. There's something about tuk-tuks and yeah. the people who are adventurous enough to do this that means that people end up getting on really, really well. I think you have to start Which off. Nice. Yeah, I think you have to start off slightly quirky to actually want to drive a tuk-tuk, don't you, really? You know, it's, it's, <laughs> and you have to have a sense of adventure. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that that sort of is drawn towards that sort of holiday, definitely. 
Yeah. Um, I mean, our, our eldest travellers so far were an 80 and 81-year-old couple yeah. who were awesome. Absolutely fantastic. The, the, the chap, he drove for two days and he made his wife drive the rest of the way. Um, <laughs> I think he, his sort of view was he's done enough driving in his life. Um, but absolutely brilliant people. And the youngest person we've had was, as in not children with their fat, with their parents, was an 18-year-old lad on his own. Okay. Great guy. So, yeah, we're lucky we've attracted some really, really interesting people. And to a fault, everybody's been cool. Yeah, people are entitled to have whatever sort of holiday they want, obviously, whether they want to flop on a beach and get burnt for two weeks or taking take advantage of the all-inclusive um, food and drinks. Yeah. Um, the, the, what we do, uh, it's a big passion of mine. I, I, I've got a lot of time and a lot of love for Thailand. And sometimes Thailand has a negative rap in the media, um, either because of, how do I say it politely, lonely older chaps. Yes, if yes. You get my yeah, drift. Yes. Um, and then sort of a bit hedonistic beach parties, but hedonistic in a really uncreative way. Yeah. As in, it's just loads of foreigners going and dancing to cheesy yeah. house music. Yeah. And there's a lot to Thailand. It's a really, really beautiful country with a rich heritage and incredible culture, great food. Yeah. And a lot for us to learn when we travel there. And that's what we're trying to do our little bit yeah. to help people see the real Thailand. And we happen to do it by tuk-tuk. Yeah. Um, if I'd have been really into donkeys, perhaps we'd be doing donkey balls or something, I don't know. <laughs> but the thing that drives us is not just the tuk-tuks, it's the fact that I get, and all my team actually, we get a real kick out of people finishing a trip with us and going, wow, that Thailand isn't how I imagined it, it's a hundred times better. Yes. Have you thought of um, doing a longer trip than 11 days? Yeah. Um, I would like to do a trip starting from, uh, I wouldn't start in Bangkok because for about an hour and a half around Bangkok, the roads are pretty horrible. Okay. Um, but starting to the northeast of Bangkok, there's a really cool national park, and then follow the country all the way to its eastern borders. Okay. And then follow the Mekong up around through the northeast of Thailand and looping then through the mountains and do about three weeks or something. Okay. Um, sounds like my sort of trip. If we did that, we'd only do it once a year. Okay. It would be like a one-off special, but it would be, I mean, I sort of figure, this is quite arrogant, but I figure if I really want to do it, there must be 10, 15 other people who want to do well, it as got, well. Here's your first customer. Here's, <laughs> Super. Here I am. And the good lady as well. And, and the, the good, good lady. lady. I should, oh, yeah, ship you up for that, yeah. So, yes. But that would be cool because you see you see the sort of rice basket, um, you go along the Cambodian border, Head up the border with Laos. Yeah. Um, oh, there's the culture, the food, the people. And as you travel around, you, you notice the language is different, the people are different, the food's different. Um, yeah, I think that'd be a lot of fun. I, I think it's something you should start planning almost now, when, when we finish. I think it's something that's a... Well, I'll just call it James's tour. I think you should. Absolutely. The other thing, I, I'm i a bit of a passion for coffee, me. You know, I, I, so yeah, tell, me, tell, tell me about the this coffee house shop that's up in the mountains okay well i know the one i think i know the one you're talking about okay so th there's a lot of coffee is a big thing in thailand and okay. in northern thailand there's coffee grown up here okay the coffee shop i think you're talking about is in the village where on the 11 day trip we stay there on nights three and four okay and when I, it's basically it's a wooden hut with open sides and wooden benches okay 
with gnarled old wooden tables and a and a log fire that is never put out. Okay. And there's always water simmering away, and it's the freshest fresh coffee from that's grown in the hills around there that's served in thimble-like cups. Okay, so it's almost espressos. Yes, they they would be. I mean, certainly if you have a coffee there at five in the afternoon, you're still fairly wide awake by eleven when you're having a couple of beers. Okay. Um, right. And it's yeah. just. I'm not a coffee expert, James. Okay. But I think you look out and you've got a, a steep street. Every house in this village has pigs. It, part of the culture is that pigs are a um, a big thing in Karen culture. Okay. So every family has pigs. Okay. You look out, there are pigs under the house. There are pe- people in their 70s, 80s bent over from all of the years working in the fields. Um, you've got mountains, forest, and you're sitting in a rickety old wooden hut with a fire drinking coffee and it just tastes a hundred times better sure. because of the because of where you are and the yeah. pigs are, are, they, are they for slaughter or are they are they for meat they and will, for what, what other use would a pig have because i've i've kept pigs they're, they're, they're a symbol of wealth number okay. one but then yeah they, they do eat them so at all big festivals you'll slaughter a pig if you um when a local lad wants to get married he will always have to give pigs to the to the bride's family one of the guys that works with us is Karen and okay. he does all our three-day trips because it's his village that we camp in and he normally has people up to one in the morning talking to them about all sorts of interesting Karen cultural bits and pieces um, never gets boring never gets boring are you always with the group you always I'm go- not no. I'm not but I I enjoy going with groups okay uh, I try to meet everybody on day one okay um, I I'll do our one day trips. I'll go and join one day trips, maybe two or three times a month. Okay. Um, just to, just to enjoy myself really. Yeah. Um, I will pick and choose some three day trips to go on because I have to do all the boring stuff, like making sure people get paid and things like that. Is, there's a um, lot of that, I presume. There's quite a lot of paperwork, is there? Well, there is because you know, we're always trying to, um, we're always trying to reach more people, marketing, yeah. sales, and yeah. then all of the, all of the real the paperwork stuff. I have someone very good at paperwork because um, okay. <laughs> that's tedious. But yeah, there's all you're always busy. You could work twenty four hours a day. Yeah. Um, so what's the future hold? We're going to keep growing what we do. We've launched that seven day trip. That you know, our big thing is to sort of get that full for 2021. Uh, yeah. Talking to businesses about uh, some more bespoke trips for them. Um, so yeah, ongoing domination of travel in northern Thailand. And the the single day bookings, I presume that's quite a big part of the business, is it? It is. Um, and I never, I never ever started doing this with that thought. The eleven day trip was the, the whole thing, and then I was talking to people who I was hoping were going to market our trips, and someone who I really respect in the industry, travel industry said, "Have you thought about doing a shorter trip, five days?" Maybe we did that, and then he said, "Are you going to do a one day trip?" And I was like, "No." Um, and then I was sitting on a Saturday afternoon. I can still remember exactly where I was sitting with a mate, yep. having a couple of beers, and said, "You know, I really think I should do this one-day trip. It will just it will pay the running costs of the business." And within three hours, we had it nailed. And two days later, we had it out there into the market. And yeah, I mean, it's 
particularly from November through February, March, and then June through September, usually, it's full on. Yeah. I, must, um, I, must, I looked at your prices and I, and I thought, I thought they were quite reasonable, if I'm honest. I didn't go, oh, you know, and it's another one day and the 11 day. I think the 11 day was about 1700, wasn't it? The, the, the 11 day trip in high season is 1595. Okay. And the reason, and then low season is 1395. Okay. And the only reason that is, is that we pay more for our accommodation in yeah. the high season. Yeah. Um, and well, it's nice of you to say you didn't think that. Right. What I try and do is price them fairly. Yeah. Um, you know, we're, we're not, my whole thing, I said it, wasn't it? I, I, people work really hard for the holiday. Yeah. You, you toil through 40 whatever weeks of the year and you save and save to it. I mean, some people don't, they're very wealthy, but other people work really hard and save um, for the holiday. What I want to do is make sure that that 11 days they have with us or five days or one yeah. day is the best experience they've ever had. Mm. That's the main thing. So we want to price it fairly that it's worth our while doing, but that we're not we're not taking the mickey. No, but you don't price it with flights, do you? Do you, do you can you sort out flights? Do you ever do any of that? Do you know what? Um, I don't. I, I'm always happy to help people search for flights because I'm a bit of a flight geek. Okay. I will. I have been known on a Friday evening to have a couple of beers and then <laughs> spend two hours searching random flights out. That, 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 that's quirky. That's that's just not right. I'm sorry. No, it isn't. My children think that is. It's just dad when he's going off in one of his weird moments. Buyers at either end. I presume yeah. that there aren't there aren't excursions to the poppy fields anymore. They've gone, have they? Um, no, they're not. I, and do you know what? I, so this. <laughs> I just thought that question. I'm very very good friends up in the mountains. Who, and the longer I get to know them, and the more whiskey we drink together. Yeah. So I remember the first time saying. There must be poppies still around it. No, 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 they've all gone. Yeah. Next time, oh, well, there might be. Oh, yeah. And then about three weeks, four weeks later, we went off exploring in a four-wheel drive and eventually we got stuck and we couldn't get any further. And the guy said, you know where we got stuck? He said, beyond there is where the poppies are. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, it's way less than it used to be. Yeah. There's been a brilliant, over the last 30, 40 years, a whole series of royal projects that put a lot of effort and money into um, removing the opium crop yes. and giving those communities sort of moving them into vegetables, flowers and yeah. stuff like that. I forgot to tell you, James, that each year we do a an exclusive, very posh rally as well. Okay. So we work with a business in the UK that's a really cool business. It's called Prestige Promotions and they do rallies in Ferraris through Italy and they yeah. do the that beautiful trips through Scotland in the winter. Is it yeah. that 500 N thing? NC 500, yeah. Yeah, and, but basically it's wealthy. It's people who've done well driving their Lambos and their Ferraris and staying in Chateau and all this stuff. Yeah. Um, and they got in touch. We chatted about four years, three or four years ago. Okay. And um, we now do a trip each year and instead of driving Lamborghinis, they drive the tuk-tuks. <laughs> and my favourite quote... Their, their travellers are really interesting people. They're generally people who've built a business and been very successful. And yeah. so they're quite straight talkers. Okay. And they're used to people saying yes. Okay. Um, right. But nice people. And they all have a oh, minimum of three, four, five supercars. Okay. Um, but we had one guy in the first rally, lovely bloke, 70s, has about 15 supercars. And... 
he was doing the training and getting used to the clutch and he turned around and he said this reminds me of driving my Lamborghini <laughs> like, what on earth do you mean he said the clutch is exactly the same <laughs> so there you go right. tuk-tuks are the same as Lamborghinis according to a supercar owner I would reckon that if you pulled next to a Lamborghini at traffic lights you would both look at each other Almost, yes. almost, or the Lamborghini would look at the tuk-tuk and the tuk-tuk driver may not look at the Lamborghini. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> yeah, I think that, that's how it works. So, uh, <laughs> Right, thank you, Bruce. It's been an abs- okay. absolute pleasure. And uh, see, you, uh, see you in the new year. Looking forward to it, James. As I said, I'll hold you to that. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you to Bruce Haxton for taking the time to talk to me. So when the world regains some normality, hopefully next year in 2021, and you fancy a holiday in Thailand, take a look at their website. I will post all the relative links you need. All my shows are now available on iTunes and Spotify or direct from adventuresinatutsuit.com. Thank you for listening. See you next time. This has been a C&P production for Follow the Tutu. This podcast is sponsored by the fabulous Tuk Tuk UK, the UK's largest importer of Tuk Tuk. If you want a Tuk Tuk or anything Tuk Tuk related, Tuk Tuk UK is the company to speak to. They love talking Tuk Tuks as much as I do. Yeah.